I just want to welcome all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting together here at Central Campus, and those of you who are meeting at one of our other campuses uh, in Airdrie, um, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in Northwest Calgary. We are one church um, that meets in many locations, not only for worship on the weekend, but thousands of us also meet in homes and other locations during the week to grow closer to God, grow closer to one another, and also to be on mission together in responding to the assignments that God gives to us. Uh, this is Vision Weekend. It's a time that uh, we celebrate what God's doing in and through our church. Uh, we talk a little bit about the state of the church and also where it is we believe that God is leading us as a church. So if you're visiting with us today, this is a time we, that I sort of have a fireside chat uh, with our church without the fireplace or the fire. And, uh, and so it isn't a typical talk that I would give. But I do trust that as you listen, uh, listen in, that you're going to find um, this time helpful in knowing what our mission is, what we're passionate about, and the difference we're trying to make uh, in our city and around the world. Now, one of the last things that Jesus said before ascending to heaven, uh, something that is very important to him and something that he doesn't want us to miss, uh, is recorded in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18 to 20. So, would you please stand and join me in reading this passage together? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy, the privilege it is to be part of your church, to be engaged in matters of eternity. And we ask, Lord, um, that you would speak to us today. You'd help us to fully, more fully understand your calling in our lives. And Lord, you'd give us uh, the humility, but also the grace and the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus' call here to go and make disciples is not directed only to missionaries and pastors. It is directed to all followers of Jesus Christ. We're all missionaries to our community and to those that God brings across our path uh, at work, at school, or even right here um, uh, in our worship services. It is a call that is directed to each of us but it is also a call that is directed to all of us together as a church. In fact, in the same way that God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone, he never intended for us to be on mission alone. If we're going to reach our city and our world for Christ, it's going to require each of us, of course, taking God's call uh, seriously and doing what he calls us to do. But it's also going to require all of us together joining hands, working together, 
all of our campuses putting in, pulling in the same direction as one church, praying together, loving, caring, giving, and serving together. Now, our mission of a church, as a church, is based on the passage that we just read together in Matthew chapter 28. And it reads like this. Our mission is to introduce people to Jesus and to help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. In short, our mission is to make disciples people who are fully devoted to Jesus, who together are committed to loving God, loving one another, and loving our city, our nation, and world. Everything we do as a church needs to be aligned with our mission, either directly or indirectly. If it isn't, we need to stop doing it. Now today I want us to look at the life of Jesus. And I want to talk to you about how we can be involved together in accomplishing the mission that he's called us to. Jesus is our primary disciple maker. He loves us. He is more concerned about our spiritual growth than anyone else on this planet. He longs for us to know him, uh, for us to put our trust totally in him, for us to have a close friendship with him. He wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us through through the scriptures, but also through his whispers. At times, he will try to get our attention through a disturbing event or a crisis in our life. Or he'll try to get our attention through a conversation or a sermon or perhaps a scripture that we just read. Now, if we dismiss it, uh, if we ignore it, if we just carry on with our busy lives like it never happened, we will miss out on a growth moment that God has intended for us an area in which he's trying to grow us spiritually. But if we stop and we ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to me through this scripture that I just read? Or through this troublesome conversation that I just had? Or this sermon that I just heard? Or this disturbing event that I just experienced? Are you saying anything to me through this? And we go on to ask, what do you want me to do about it? And then in obedience, we actually take a step of faith and do what we believe he's calling us to do. We will grow in our trust in him. We will grow closer to him. And we will become more like him. And church, that in a nutshell is what discipleship is all about. Learning to listen to God and doing what he calls us to do. And making disciples is helping others to do the same. To learn how to listen to God, primarily through the scriptures, but also through his promptings, and then doing what he calls them to do. So knowing how to make disciples begins by realizing that Jesus is our primary disciple maker. And walking closely with him each day and carrying out the assignments that he gives to us. Furthermore, knowing how to make disciples also involves learning from Jesus and how he made disciples. You know, years ago, when I read the story of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I often 
paid closest attention to what Jesus taught or what he said. And of course, that's very important. But I didn't always pay as close attention to how Jesus lived and how he related to and invested in the lives of those who were close to him. Well, I now realize that that was a huge oversight because we can learn a lot about what it means to make disciples through his example. So this past summer, while on vacation, I read the Gospels again to learn how Jesus related to his disciples and how he made disciples. I was reading in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus specifically uh, invited 12 men into a close relationship with himself. And in Luke 6 verse 14, it says one of those men was Simon, whom Jesus later called Peter. And when I read that, I, I just began to focus a bit on Peter. And I wondered, how did Peter come to know and trust Jesus? To the place that he was prepared to change the entire trajectory of his life and follow Jesus with full devotion. How did he get to that place? And how did Jesus get to know Peter well enough to ultimately choose him from among a crowd of over 70, over 70 disciples to choose him from among them to be part of his small disciple-making group? Now, of course, Scripture doesn't give us a direct answer to those questions. But we're given enough information to surmise what likely took place. We know that Jesus began his ministry in the Galilee region of ancient Israel. And that most of the time, Jesus would teach and minister to people in public places, out in the open fields, on hills, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. On the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee was a town called Capernaum. And Peter lived there. He lived there with his extended family, and they had a fishing business together. And so they were in relative short proximity to where Jesus was ministering. Now, Jesus' public ministry soon attracted large crowds. And in the Gospel of John, we read that Andrew, Peter's brother, heard Jesus speak. He saw him perform miracles, and he became convinced that Jesus was no ordinary man. And we read in John 1.41, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. And I can imagine Peter standing among the crowd and listening to Jesus' teaching. And like so many others, he was captivated not only by what Jesus said, but the authority he had when he spoke and when he ministered to those who were in need. And when the crowds dismissed, Peter and Andrew likely stayed behind. And they just kind of stood a little distance from Jesus and listened in to the answers he was giving to questions that were being asked. When Jesus walked to another village, 
it's very likely that they walked along with him and had opportunity to ask him questions along the way. Now, in addition to his public ministry, Jesus was often invited to informal gatherings in a smaller social setting like a home or in the courtyard of a group of homes. Like the time he was invited by um, Levi, the tax collector in Matthew chapter 9. Now in these settings, sometimes people found out where Jesus was and they would show up with their physical needs and Jesus would minister to their needs. But at other times, Jesus would relax. He would eat and socialize with those who were present. And Peter likely attended some of those house parties which allowed him to get closer to Jesus in a more informal setting and to see the laid-back, fun-loving side of Jesus. With the passing of time, Peter and his brother Andrew, along with more than 70 others, committed to following Jesus. The Bible actually refers to them as disciples of Jesus, indicating their commitment to Christ. In Luke chapter 6, after spending an entire night praying, Jesus invited 12 from among 70 plus disciples into a closer relationship with himself. Disciples whom he referred to as apostles, whom he intentionally spent extended time with and taught and discipled. And of course, Peter was one of those that he invited, and Peter signed up enthusiastically. But here's my point. Long before Peter knew Jesus personally, or committed his life to following Jesus, long before he was invited by Jesus into a personal disciple-making relationship, Peter was already being discipled by Jesus in two other settings. Through Jesus' public ministry when he taught and through his more informal interaction with Jesus at smaller social gatherings in homes. As Peter heard Jesus speak and he watched him heal people in public settings and he cultivated a closer relationship with him in smaller social settings in homes, Peter was being discipled by Jesus. He probably didn't even realize it. But the discipleship process had begun. He was being drawn to Jesus and ultimately came to the place where he committed his life to following Jesus. In short, Jesus discipled Peter in several different contexts. First, in a public context where Peter was one among hundreds, just like you are today in this crowd. In a smaller social context in homes where Peter was one of 20 or perhaps up to 50 people. And then, of course, in a more personal context where Peter was invited by Jesus along with 11 others into a close personal discipleship relationship. Now, I share that with you because as we think about our mission of making disciples, it's important that all of us realize that God is using similar contexts to disciple people today. 
First of all, in the same way that Jesus began to disciple Peter through his teaching in the public setting, God is using our public worship services and other public outreach events of our church to disciple others. For example, many years ago, God used a public outreach event that took place in a high school gym just two blocks from the home that I grew up in to change my heart and to bring me to himself. And it changed the trajectory not only of my life but my eternity. Every week, we have people from our church going downtown or other public places around our city giving testimony to how Jesus has changed their lives, having conversations and praying with people, some who are poor, some who are wealthy. And over the years, we have seen hundreds of people introduced to Jesus and find hope and healing for their lives. This past December, some of our young adults held an outreach Christmas service right in the atrium of City Hall. And four people embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. In the month of December, through our Christmas production, our Christmas fest event uh, for families, our Christmas Eve services, 32 children and 35 adults put their trust in Christ for the very first time. A few months ago, a young man approached me and told me how a few years ago he was far from God. He had a very negative view of the church. Somewhere along the way, someone mentioned Center Street Church. He decided he had some time to kill, so he showed up here. And when he came, he sat at the very back, as far from the pastor as possible. I see you back there. But he got ambushed by the Spirit of God anyway. And in his words, I began to attend religiously for the next couple of years. He said, I would come all by myself, sit through the service, and head straight for the door and go home right after. Well, the day came when he could no longer deny what he knew to be true. He could no longer resist the Spirit's work in his life. And he completely surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He began meeting with one of our pastors one-on-one. He grew in his faith and he grew in his courage. And today he's not only involved in one of our outreach ministries, but he is passionate about telling anyone who will listen about how Jesus has totally transformed his life. So while he was telling me this story out in the atrium, there was another man a few feet away that was listening in. And he proceeded to come up and tell me his story as well. And it was pretty much an identical um, story to what I had just heard. He too came to our services by himself for a period of time. I don't remember how long. And when he put his trust in Christ, he began to invite his entire family to our public worship services. And in time, they all came to faith in Christ and are now living for the Lord and serving him. You see, in both cases, these two men's journey of faith, of becoming 
fully devoted followers of Christ began when they started attending one of our public worship services. It didn't end there. Their discipleship journey did not end there, but it began there. Do you understand? And I could spend the next hour or more reading hundreds of letters and notes and communication cards along with hundreds of emails I've received from people who wanted to just give thanks for how God used our worship services, our outreach events, the worship, the teaching, the baptisms, the testimonies that were given, our children and youth ministries, to introduce them and or their children to the Lord, or for that matter, to bring them back to Jesus. The reality is every weekend, people who are seeking God are getting in their car and on their own volition, no one's holding a gun to their head, they are coming to our services or to some other outreach event, and God is using that time together to introduce them to Jesus, uh, to change their hearts, or even just to begin to change their hearts, and like Peter, to begin the disciple-making process in their lives. And of course, in addition to that, from the feedback we've been getting from many of you uh, down through the years, God, of course, is using our times together like this to grow people in their faith, and to grow deeper in their walk with God, which, if you think about it, is a very important part of the discipleship process. Now, I want to remind us, just take a moment here to kind of take a bit of a detour for just a, a couple of minutes, because it's just really important I emphasize this. I want to remind us that our weekend services and other outreach events that we put on are open to the public. Our public worship services are open to anyone Regardless of age, sex, religion, sexual orientation, race, social status, or anything else you want to put on that list. As long as a person is respectful to others, isn't disruptive, or tries to hurt others, they are welcome to be part of our public worship gatherings. And what that means is, the person sitting next to you may have a totally different worldview than you do. Or maybe living a totally different lifestyle than you are. And if you're a Christ follower, it's important that you not judge them, but that you reach out to them and you be kind and loving to them no differently than you would be kind and loving to your neighbor or to your working associate or fellow student who has a different worldview than you do. Our public services are not so much a haven for the spiritually mature as they are a hospital for people who are seeking help and healing and in dealing the struggles they have in their life and answers to the questions, to the restlessness and the emptiness that they have within. Now having said that, it is also important that I point out that while our worship services are open to anyone, the focus of our worship service is first and foremost our Lord God. He's the object. He's the object of our worship. And also those of us, of course, who love him and are committed to following him and living for him. Which means there may be songs that are sung 
There may be words spoken. There may be scriptures read or scriptures taught that offend or upset some people. But this is our promise to you. As you contemplate inviting people to our worship services, and we are really encouraging you to do that, to have the courage to do that, to pray and trust God as you bring them. We want you to know that while we will not compromise or water down what the Bible teaches and our biblical convictions, with God's help, we will do our utmost to speak the truth in love. We will speak the truth in love because we believe to the core of our being that people matter to God. And we don't want our human frailties, we don't want our human insensitivities to get in the way of people coming to know the Jesus that we know and love. Amen? So, so here's the thing. If God is using our worship services and other public outreach events to disciple people, to even begin the discipleship process as he did in the life of Peter, then when we help, when we work together um, to make our worship services and our outreach events meaningful and impactful, we are being used by God to play a part in the mission of making disciples. When you help us be ready for company at our weekend worship gatherings by setting up things or emptying garbages that are overflowing or helping to keep things tidy, when you're serving in the kitchen or you're serving coffee and food or when you greet people, and maybe even take time to get to know them and invite them out for coffee after. When you help people locate washrooms or our children's ministry area, or you help people find the information that they're looking for, or when you help them to connect to a community group by inviting them to your own community group, or at least introducing them to one of our community pastors so they can direct them to someone, or you help them to find a place to serve, by introducing them to one of the pastors or volunteer leaders in that ministry area, you're playing a key role in accomplishing our mission of making disciples. When you help our children's ministry or special needs ministry to love, teach, and to share the good news of Jesus with them, and at the same time free up their parents or their caregivers to worship, and be inspired and challenged by God's word in the worship center uninterrupted. You're playing a significant role in the making of disciples. When you lead worship, when you do lighting, sound, live video, when you gather with others to pray for our church, to pray for our worship services, those leading, those teaching, those serving in various areas, when you pray for those who will be coming, or when you make yourself available after a service to pray with people who make their way up here to the altar or maybe find you somewhere in the atrium because they need prayer, 
You're playing a vital role in our mission of making disciples. And yes, when you give sacrificially, not only of your time and talent, but also of your financial resources to provide what we need to do the work that God's called us to, and to provide the buildings that we need to do the ministry he's called us to, you're playing an important part in advancing the mission we've been called to. I just want to say here, I'm so grateful for your sacrificial generosity, not only in supporting um, our, our mission uh, um, <clears throat> through your regular giving, but for giving over and above of your regular giving to support our much-needed uh, Build More Room for God initiative. A year ago, we spelled out our space needs in a number of areas of our church, and we'll give you an update on how things are going a little over a month from now. Uh, so I'm not going to go there except to say that I know buildings don't make disciples. But given the thousands of people who have come to faith in Christ over the years through our public services, many others who are still coming and are seeking the Lord, I have no doubt that God uses buildings as tools to make disciples. You know, when you live in a city with unpredictable weather like ours, think February, folks. February. We, we just couldn't gather like this on any kind of regular basis. Now, to be clear, in the same way that Jesus' public ministry was not the only context that Jesus discipled Peter, so we believe that our public gatherings are not the only way that God's using our church to make disciples. But it is one of the ways that he's introducing people to Jesus and helping them to take those initial steps to becoming fully committed to him. In fact, this past year, we had 355 people become Christ followers for the very first time. That means that on average, one person came to Christ every day this past year through the ministry of our church. And those are really only, only the ones that we're aware of. Down through the years, we've become aware that there are so many others that we just haven't known who've made that step of faith. Locally in our city, hundreds of our people gave hundreds of hours this last year to serving new Canadians, the working poor, and the less fortunate. We provided care, support, and over 200,000 pounds of food for up to 600 people a month who walked into our, one of our church buildings looking for help, looking for life change in the name of Jesus, and looking for a way out of the, 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 the cycle of poverty. In addition, this past Christmas, through your generosity, we gave out over 400 Christmas hampers. Nationally, we are partnering with nine churches, churches that are planting the gospel in their communities across Canada. We're also partnering with two couples called to serve First Nation communities. Internationally, we are supporting 52 global workers, 101 partner churches, and 39 agencies 
all committed to the same mission that we are. So many blessings to celebrate, and that is in large part because many of you are listening to God and you're responding to his call by serving and giving sacrificially. And I just want to thank you for serving and giving to the Lord. Now, in addition to the public events like our worship services and outreach events, God is also using smaller, more informal social gatherings like our missional communities or uh, uh, communities on mission to make disciples. Peter first heard about Jesus and was drawn to Jesus in the public context when he was one among hundreds. However, if that's all that he ever experienced, if he never sought to get closer to Jesus, I really wonder if Peter would have ever become a fully devoted follower of Jesus or had the impact that he had for Christ. You see, it was in the smaller social settings, like Matthew Levi's house party, where Peter most likely got to know Jesus personally and ultimately came to the place of committing his life to Christ. In the same way, while we believe our public worship gatherings provide a baseline of discipleship for those who attend and are open to hearing and open to hearing God speak to them, we believe that God disciples people at a deeper level through mid-sized community groups of anywhere between 15 to 50 people. We're calling missional communities, or as I said a moment ago, communities that are on mission. In a way, these missional communities are small churches that do what can't be done. We just can't do in in, in big church like this, in a large public worship gathering like this. Missional communities provide an informal safe place where people can grow closer to God and to discover God's agenda for their lives and to get onto God's agenda for their lives. It's a place where people can begin to um, develop some meaningful relationships. A place where people can encourage and challenge each other to reach out in love for others. You know, when you think of trying to impact or, or have, make a difference somewhere, and there's just one or two of you, it's, 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 you know, you need, it takes a lot of courage. But when there's 20 or 30 of you, it's so much easier to say, hey, you know, I'll be part of that. Let's do that. And our dream and prayer is that everyone who's part of our church will be part of a small group community like this that's on mission. Because we've seen people move to another level of their spiritual growth as a result of being relationally connected with others. Now, over the last four years, and Gwen and I have been leading a missional community like this in our home. During that time, we've had between 20 to 70 people be part of our missional community at any one time. We've sent out over 50 people to start their own missional communities. Now, if I was to describe what our MC, that's what we call it, short for missional community, what our MC's like in, in the simplest of terms, I would say this. We open our home at least two to three times a month to host a potluck party with a purpose. We intentionally try to create an open, open informal, fun-loving, easygoing, accepting, and caring atmosphere where people that we and others have invited can meet and slowly become friends over time. We do this by eating together. That always works. 
having fun, praying together, discussing, applying scripture to our lives, and then getting out and serving and reaching out together. Over these years, we've seen God use our MC to provide a safe place where people of different faiths or of no faith have been able to have spiritual conversations while they're enjoying a meal. And over the last four years, we've seen a number of people, close to a dozen people, come to faith in Christ. God has used our potluck with a purpose to provide a context where people have been able to discuss, uh, get clarity about God's call and direction for their lives, and then to also step out and to begin to exercise their gifts and talents. Some people have been called to serve God in another country. In fact, we're sending off a young lady uh, in two weeks going off to Bolivia. Many others have felt called to intentionally pray for and reach out to people uh, at work or at school. Uh, people who are far from God and sometimes they invite them to our church or even to our MC and we're there to support them and pray with them. Because we also believe that God uses our weekend services to introduce people to Jesus, like we've just talked about. Many in our missional community help out in various ways to help the campus that they attend to be ready for company. One person in our MC has recruited eight people from within our MC to join them in serving once a month in children's ministry during one of the worship services, and then they go out for lunch or coffee after. Still others have felt God calling them to serve in one of the other ministries of our church, a small group of youth or people with special needs or uh, prayer ministry or compassion ministry. Because we believe that, that God uses our public outreach events like our Christmas and our Easter uh, concerts, our Christmas Eve services, our Christmas fest, our family fest to reach and to impact people, we regularly pray for these events. And then we join in to help make them a success. At our last family fest that happened just two weeks ago, even though it was minus 25 out, 2,300 people showed up uh, with their families and their kids. And of those, 800 had never been to our church before and nearly 300 had never been to a church at all. One family in our church invited 15 of their neighbors and they all came. Another family that I met invited, I believe, a half dozen or so, and four families came. Never been to church before. Seventy-five Bibles were handed out, and on their way out, everyone received a personal invitation to our Easter concerts, our Easter services, and to our kids' camp that happens in the summer, where you may recall, every year, consistently, over the last number of years, over 30 children have made, uh, embraced Jesus as their Savior for the first time from our community. And so that's part of the linkage that we're seeing. You see, that is just one more example of how God uses all of us joining hands, working together to introduce people to Jesus. Now here's the thing. Presently, we have over 6,500 young adults and adults involved in around 500 community groups. And a growing number of those are committed to being on mission together. 
So I have a couple of challenges I want to give at this point. If you feel that your Christian life is on hold or is in neutral, it may be because, as I said earlier, you're trying to live the Christian life alone. You know, in Hebrews 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord approaching. You know, friend, God never meant for us to live the Christian life alone. And so I want to challenge you to get into a community group or in consultation with one of our community pastors, step out in faith and open up your home and start a community group yourself. Start a potluck party with a purpose and watch how God will not only begin to grow you spiritually, but others that are part of your uh, group. My second challenge is this. In light of the fact that God is regularly bringing hundreds of people to our weekend worship services, people who are seeking God, in addition to the outreach that you and your group are already doing, I want to challenge everyone, but I particularly want to challenge every community leader here and every person in a community group to commit to serving in one service a month to helping the campus that you attend to be ready for company. Imagine if 500 community groups were to put a stake in the ground and to say one of the things that we're going to do at least once a month is we're going to show up. All of us together, or at least some of us from our group, are going to show up at our campus and we're going to help our campus be ready for the people that God's bringing to us. We're going to serve in children's ministry. We're going to serve as greeters, as ushers. We're going to serve in security. We're going to serve in hospitality or in parking. We're going to set things up. We're going to take things down. We're going to serve as prayer partners. We're going to come early or we're going to stay late and we're going to intentionally pray and seek to meet people who are new to the church and maybe invite them to our community group. Wherever it is, we're going to make ourselves available. Imagine if 500 of our community groups were to say, you know what, those outreach events are well worth investing in. We're going to show up and be whatever support and help we can be to make them a success. You see, church, we're a family. And healthy members of a family don't leave it to a few to get the necessary work done. No, everyone does their part to pitch in where the need is, even if it isn't their favorite ministry. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I served in the toddler room here at Central Campus for, for three services. And two of those services, God used me in a mighty way to calm down a number of little toddlers. And, and I began to think that uh, I had a gift working with toddlers. And then we got to the third service. In the third service, a child was crying profusely. And so given my success record in the two earlier services, I said, you know, just let me have that child. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, he'll just, he'll just settle right down once he, you know, senses my gentle and loving spirit. 
He cried the entire service. <laughs> now, that wasn't the most pleasant experience. But it didn't kill me either. Even while I was holding this little guy who didn't stop crying, I thought to myself, you know, this is a small price to pay if his parents are having a good sleep in the worship center right now. <laughs> that did cross my mind, but that's not really what I was thinking. No, I thought this is a small price to pay if his parents are being introduced to Jesus in the worship center right now. Folks, we need to put our excuses aside. We need to get out of the bleachers. We need to step up and do our part because the eternal trajectory of people's lives are at stake. I mean, do we, we still do believe that, don't we? We still believe that people need the Lord, don't we? We still believe that God is bringing people who are far from God right to us on a weekly basis and that when we do our part, when we reach out and we say hi to a stranger after a service, when we serve in the toddler room, when we serve in some other way, we are part of a much greater thing that God is doing in the lives of people in this grand mission of making disciples. And one day when we get to heaven, can you imagine the 355 people who came to Jesus this last year standing there and greeting us and saying thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm here. I'm in heaven because you served, because you gave. Think of it if every community group began to say, we're going to do some things together here. And then thirdly and finally, God is using not only our public worship services and events to disciple people. He's not only using our community groups meeting in smaller social spaces and homes to make disciples. He's also using more personal disciple-making relationships to make disciples. And we see this form of discipleship all the way through Scripture, and it's probably the most effective form of discipleship because you're dealing with just a small group of individuals. We see Moses investing in Joshua. We see Elijah investing in Elisha. Andrew invested in his brother Peter, who along with others invested in Barnabas, who in turn invested in John Mark. The Apostle Paul invested in Titus and Timothy, who according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, invested in faithful men, who in turn discipled others. Jesus himself called Peter and 11 others to follow him. And he didn't just ask for volunteers. Hey, anybody want to uh, be part of a small group? No, he looked them in the eye and he challenged them and invited them into relationship with himself. And he told them about the cost that would be involved. He did life with them. He took them on spiritual adventures to grow their faith. He cared for them like family. 
He gave them assignments, and like a good father, he praised and encouraged them. He challenged them. He corrected them. And then he told them to go and to invest in others what he'd invested in them. You know, I'm so grateful for the many men and women in our church who have invited a few others into relationship and have basically said to each other, Let, let's go on an adventure together. Let's learn together what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Let's listen to God and do what he calls us to do. I'm so thankful for those who are investing and walking with a small group of school-aged children or a small group of youth or young adults. I've spoken to people in our church who are doing this or have done this in the past. And without exception, all have said that seeing how God used them to to mentor and to walk with a a small group of guys or gals like maybe from about grade 6 to the time they graduated from high school, just being part of that miracle over those years was the most rewarding thing, most spiritually growing thing they've ever done. And some, so I come to you, our church, with another challenge in this area. You know that in most of our campuses, our children's ministry is overflowing, which is one of the reasons we're building to make more room. But even more than that, the reality is we have hundreds of children who are coming up in age. They're, they're, they're you know, grades five, six, and seven, who are going to need high school students. They're going to need young adults. They're going to need young marrieds. They're going to need anyone who's really cool and young at heart to mentor and walk alongside them in the years to come. I'm told that this next September in all of our campuses, just to accommodate the growth that we're experiencing, we're going to need a minimum of two to 300 people serving as shepherds and helpers in our children's ministry. And we're going to need well over 100 people serving as group leaders and as mentors to our youth. You know, church, at the beginning of my message, we read together from Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus calls those of us who are his followers to make disciples. And so I ask you, who are you investing in? We have an opportunity here to invest in the lives of the emerging generation and impacting some of the most pivotal decisions that they're going to make in their life, including where they're going to spend eternity. I can't think of anything more important or exciting as a Christian than investing in the next generation, or at least investing in someone else. Every weekend, At your campus, there are children who need a shepherd. There are youth who need a big brother or sister. There are adults who are seeking God and others who are seeking a friend, someone to talk to, a spiritual family to belong to. There are young adults who would love to have an older couple become their adoptive parents, who would love to hang out in your house occasionally, probably raid your fridge too. Gwen and I have had the joy of having hundreds of people, including many young adults, in our home on a regular basis. 
And even though there have been times it has felt a bit much with all that's on our plate, you know, having about 100 people in our home on a weekly basis, overall, we have been blessed beyond measure. There just simply is no greater blessing in life than to love God, to be part of a loving spiritual family, and to be used of God to love others to Jesus. There just isn't. This is the mission that we've been called to as a church, and I'm convinced that there's just no greater cause to give your life to. So I'll close with this. I recently received a note from someone after a service. And uh, it only had three words on it. And the words were this. Please don't retire. <laughs> uh, and immediately, I, I, you know, I, was, I wanted to say, well, why are you even thinking that? I'm only 42. Come on. <laughs> uh, but seriously, even though I appreciate those words of affirmation, I recognize that this is on people's minds, and so I need to say something publicly from time to time. So first of all, I just want to reaffirm that I am still as committed and as passionate about serving our Lord and our church as I ever was. I love our church. I pray daily for our church and God's direction for the new thing that he wants to do in and through our church going forward to his glory. But I also realize that I'm, I'm, I'm mortal and that even though I, I will never retire from being a Christ follower, I'll never retire from serving him with all of my heart, there will come a time I won't be physically able to continue to lead this wonderful church. And so I'm committed to raising up and investing in the next generation of leaders who will lead our church into the future. And what I'm saying is this, in, in the words of John the Baptist, they must increase, and I and my generation of leaders must decrease. We must mentor the next generation. We must walk with them and prepare them to lead. And then at the God-appointed time, turn over the reins of leadership to them. And I'm committed to doing that because I love this church and what Christ is doing in this church. And I want to see our church continue to thrive and have even a greater impact than it is now, than it's having now. And so to be clear, I'm not planning to go anywhere for a number of years yet, but I am fully aware that my plans are not necessarily God's plans. I intend to continue to stay close to him, to hear his voice and his direction for my life. And when he says it's time to step down, I will. Until that time comes, I want you to know that with each passing year, I will be investing more and more of my time preparing the next generation of leaders, which will require more of my time. Practically, that means with each passing year, others will slowly increase and I will slowly decrease in my preaching role and in my leadership role as senior pastor that's going to begin to look a bit different each year as well 
as I walk with others and entrust more of the leadership challenge to them. And so I hope that helps to to bring a bit of clarity where I'm at. And I I just, again, want to state, I just so love being your senior pastor. Um, And I just am so thankful to you uh, for your love and your support uh, for me, our family, our staff, all the way down through these years. Um, This is an amazing church, and I thank God for all of you. And so in closing... I leave us all with this final question, and that is, um, what are you giving your life to? Who are you investing in? When you examine what motivates you, what makes your adrenaline flow, are you pursuing the good life, or are you pursuing the God life, the life that God intended for you to give your life to? As far as I'm concerned, I can't think of a greater cause than to give my life to than living all out for Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. And this is why we're still here on earth and not in heaven. I believe we as a church stand at the threshold of a new and exciting time. The best is yet to come. And I challenge all of us, therefore, to first and foremost pursue the Lord with all of our hearts, And then in obedience to his call, join together with one another in pursuing the mission that he's called us to. To the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand? so we've run out of time and I, I want to be sensitive to that and so I'm not going to give you time to just think about what's God saying to you but I'm going to give that as an assignment for you on your way home and this week you know please don't just let this go in one year and out the other go to the Lord with this and ask him Lord what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do about it before I give the benediction I just want to mention that last year we undertook an effort to tell the stories of God's amazing work among us, the stories of real people, in a book that we're calling Living Stones. If you haven't had a chance to pick up uh, a copy of it, you can get a copy in the atrium today, and we encourage you to do so. We encourage you to read about the amazing ways that God's been at work in our church through the lives of his people. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his special peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.